In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 Lightspeed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired! I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, we're going to highlight one of the most prolific and profound composers of our day. That is none other than Michael Giacchino, his rich amount of work for the Walt Disney Company over the past 25 years is truly astounding. And to cover this, I wanted to bring on my cousin and friend, David Glantz, who was quite the film and music connoisseur, to join me as we really delve into all the different projects that Giacchino has delivered over this very, what seems to be short time period, but 25 years is um, certainly a, a good chunk of his life. And needless to say, because of the amount of content here, this ended up being a very extensive episode of sorts, or recording, I should say. About two hours or so, uh, David and I chatted about Giacchino. So consequently, this episode will be in two parts. So in part one here, we're going to talk about Giacchino more generally, as well as his work for TV, the Disney theme parks, and Disney-branded films. And then in the second half, which will be a future episode, we're going to talk about his work for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, some more miscellaneous projects, as well as, and most importantly, his work for Pixar. So all that and more on Notably Disney as we examine the work of Michael Giacchino. Now, I'm sure after listening to this episode, you're going to be thinking to yourself, oh, I just want to ride Space Mountain and hear Giacchino's music right in person. Well, if that's the case, might I recommend our sponsor, Donna the Vacationeer with Second Star Vacations. Donna specializes in all Disney travel destinations, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland, where you can go on Space Mountain, uh, Aulani, Disney Cruise Line Vacations, and Adventures by Disney Guided Tours. Unlike big box travel agencies where you're just another number, Donna is your personal travel consultant. 
Your needs will always come first, plus she is available to you before, during, and after your vacation to help ensure it is everything you dreamed it would be. Best of all, her services are free. For more information, go to secondstarvacations.com or email her at donna at thevacationyear.com. Tell her we at Notably Disney sent you. Now on to the show. On this episode of Notably Disney, I am really thrilled to have my friend, my cousin, David Glantz, join me as we're going to be talking about arguably one of our favorite film composers and really composers across many mediums, uh, Michael Giacchino. His work for the Walt Disney Company has spanned for about 25 years now, and this felt like the perfect time to recognize all of his work. It's been very comprehensive and David is one of my favorite people to talk with when it comes to movies and music. So, David, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. I've been looking forward to this for a long time now, and uh, especially to talk about, as you already mentioned, uh, my favorite composer and Michael Giacchino working today. Uh, I can't wait to get on these topics and uh, go in depth. So before we begin, David, could you maybe share with our listeners a little bit about your background and, and passion for, most importantly, uh, both film and music, because when I think of, of film and music, I, I I think of people who are just creative and really just connoisseurs and those who appreciate the arts. And, and you certainly have always fit that bill. Oh, uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so pretty much, you know, I've loved the movies as long as I can remember. Honestly, uh, I was infamous for being in my household as the ultimate couch potato uh because i would never leave the couch and i would just sit in front and watch whether it's tv or movies whatever was on the screen i was glued to it and frankly that kind of just tied in with music um you know we'll get more into it but music and movies are really synonymous with each other in a way uh they really feed on each other uh you know music severely impacts movies in the way of bringing out other emotions as you know, movies tell the visual story uh, and escape from reality. Um, you know, so I myself, I love music. I play drums. I'm in a band, um, and I love you know, in a way, composing scores. Uh, it's been a dream of mine to kind of compose films. I just wish I knew more instruments. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things where, uh, as a human being, uh, film and music combined, especially bring out the most of you uh they allow you to express things that uh i don't think you're always aware that you uh have certain feelings and and film is able to bring that out uh you know and it's something that people can gather around and for example if you and i we can talk and we'll be discussing michael giacchino but he's one of the incredible you know composers and people and creative forces behind this industry uh and yeah, you know, it's just something that I am passionate about. Uh, I will always be passionate about uh, and nothing's changed. It's the one thorough love that I've had in my life. And uh, I, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And I think it's very apropos, David, that you use the word incredible to describe Giacchino because <laughs> that word will very much come into play uh, today. C- that's could, right. you may- could you maybe share with me and us kind of your initial exposure to Giacchino's music, whether it was through one of his projects or when you realized him as an individual and what his work has entailed? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I, well, my first exposure was actually through his music. It was during the TV show Lost, uh, to be honest, because watching that, there was a sheer sense of adventure, and it was a show that actually revolutionized TV. But 
if you think about it, and I've done this, is watch episodes without sound and just kind of watch the visual aspect. And it has not even close to the same impact that it does when Giacchino writes his scores. And what's really fascinating about him is his work ethic and also the fact that my favorite filmmaker, Steven Spielberg, uh, helped kind of usher him into the film and TV industry. Uh, there's a really funny story we can get into later about how Giacchino uh, kind of got his start in Hollywood. It's really cool. Um, but that's kind of how is it's piecing those puzzle pieces together. Of My favorite filmmaker loved him. So he brought him onto this TV show, which became a phenomenon. And his music was the glue to a show like Lost. And when I'm watching the show, I'm like, whoa, I'm like, this music is fascinating. It carries the show. I'm like, who did this? And who can create seven seasons worth of music on a weekly schedule? Only a guy like Michael Giacchino. And after that, I was just in love with him. And I listened to his TV scores, his film scores, his video game scores. Uh, he is, he's really unbelievable. Uh, one of a kind, as I would say. I, I couldn't agree more. And and that's kind of how we're going to talk about his work today, because certainly, as you, as you mentioned, um, Giacchino's work has really spanned the entire uh, Hollywood industry from the, whether it be television and film and video games and uh, miscellaneous projects. We'll, we'll hear a little bit about his work for the theme parks, but it's amazing to think that over what has really been a 25 plus year career, he's produced such a, a wealth of content that has not only you know changed the industry, but also really entered the, the minds and consciousness of the general public. So we're, we're going to be talking about Giacchino's work topically. We're, we're going to start off talking about television followed by the parks later we're going to talk about his disney branded theatrical films so those are produced um, by walt the walt disney pictures umbrella more generally and later we're going to go into marvel and star wars some of his miscellaneous projects and finally his work for pixar which has probably earned him the most acclaim and the most notice but david you had made a, a reference a, a couple minutes ago about uh, a funny story about Giacchino. And I think maybe that's a, a great way to give some context on on who he is, if you'd like to share. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And I actually found this out a little recently when I was doing a little more uh, research uh, before we uh, discuss this topic today. And pretty much, uh, you know, Giacchino coming from the video game background, uh, he has always expressed his desire and his interest in film and TV. He's always loved it. And now, while the mediums of composing are the same, film and video game medium are actually vastly different in how you produce it. Uh, so pretty much um, Spielberg, of all people, right, uh, was at DreamWorks. And Giacchino was able to kind of find his way in as like an intern at DreamWorks. And what happened was uh, Spielberg heard his video game uh, when uh, Giacchino was working on a game that was never fully produced. But he heard the score to one of his levels. And now Giacchino did all of the things on a computer, right? He never, like, really did it with a live orchestra when it came to video games because the budget didn't uh, allow it. And DreamWorks didn't want to use that money to uh, for a whole live band. So Spielberg heard it and was just like, hey, I like this Michael Giacchino kid. Uh, I want to meet him. 
So he calls the desk, and Giacchino's working upstairs on the level, and there's like, hey, Steven wants to see you. And Giacchino's like, who's Steven? And then there's like, Mr. Spielberg, your boss? And uh, Giacchino's like, oh. So he went down the escalator, and he described it. And it's my favorite part. He's going down the escalator, but didn't know what to do. Do I walk or do I stand? And you see Spielberg at the bottom of the escalator. And he goes, wow, this is just like a Spielberg movie. Like, I'm standing here looking at the greatest filmmaker as I'm going down nice and slow, getting ready to meet him. And then he meets Spielberg, and they meet face to face, and shakes his hand. Spielberg goes, I like your music on the, uh, you know, on the game. Can you finish it? And Giacchino's like, oh, of course. And Spielberg goes, great, but you can only do it with a live orchestra. And Giacchino's like, what do you mean? He's like, that's how we do it. Spielberg coming from the film background, that's all he knows. So Giacchino's like, all right. And the presidents of DreamWorks were like, sure. And uh, they gave him the budget, and the rest is history. And um, that's how he got his start. Like, his big start making his way from video game to film is by knowing somebody get your foot in the door which is everything you have to be good but you have to know people and he just found a way in and uh you know it led to future projects and collaborations with spielberg and you know obviously working with pixar and and everything in his career and uh it's just a really interesting and inspiring story to one of the most prolific composers uh in the history of this medium um and yeah, I I found it really really interesting, and yeah, the guy's fifty years old, but has already had a twenty five year career. I mean, uh, how much more prolific can you get? It's pretty incredible. Absolutely, and it and really his G. Kino's roots in terms of music that people start to hear at a general level was via video games, and we'll uh, talk about some of that later because some of his earliest work was for Disney video games, and then mm-hmm. he was responsible for like the Lost World uh, Jurassic Park and um, many others. But many people, and this is kind of segues into our, our first topic as it pertains to the Walt Disney Company, is some of his first work was for ABC. And um, in the early 2000s, ABC was kind of in this state of kind of redefining what types of shows it wanted to be known for. And one of its most innovative shows and and certainly put an A-list star on the map was Jennifer Garner via Alias. And this was back in 2001. And while Giacchino had been working in the industry for a a good decade, he really came into the, the mindset. Uh, familiarity of everybody via alias um so did you happen to watch the show by chance so i saw a little bit of it especially when it was on amc uh because that was especially during the time when i i I had more free time and i was glued to a tv so i'd watch anything that's on and uh i never watched the show fully through i'll admit but what i can say and this speaks to a testament of giacchino is the music always stood out right the music what he created not only drove the story forward uh, and when working with Abrams, but what he does, and you'll hear about this more in the film too, is he creates themes for characters. Every time he, you know, uh, replays something, you know exactly what that, uh, that sound is going to mean, right? So if he plays the theme to Alias, when you hear the opening crawl for the show Alias, 
you automatically know. And if you're a TV lover and film lover like we are, you know it's Giacchino. It's got that flair. It's got that energy to it. Uh, and it's it's something that's so hard to do. I mean, to create such iconic sounds um, and themes that stand the test of time, even until today, uh, especially as one of your early projects in your career, that's daunting. Uh, it's it's really amazing. Um, so, I mean, it's it's while I haven't seen the show fully, you know the music. And if that's the case, you did something right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, and I think to speak of really fruitful collaborations between uh, directors and producers and film composers, you think of examples like Tim Burton and Danny Elfman or, or Spielberg and, and John Williams. And another one that I think of consistently is J.J. Abrams and Michael Giacchino or Brad Bird and Michael Giacchino. And this was certainly one of the earliest examples of Abrams and Giacchino's good partnership. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the thing about Giacchino is he's so diverse. I mean, you, you, I think you nailed on the head is here's a guy that has worked, who has got really great collaborations with not only J.J. Abrams, a prolific director and showrunner, but also a guy like Brad Bird, Brad Bird, excuse me, who does, you know, all these animated films and some live action. Um but the idea that he can span these genres and yet make it his own, it's it's phenomenal. It's he, There's no other way to put it. <laughs> Absolutely. And thinking about Ilias, what, what I like about his music from the show, I, I hadn't watched the, the series, but I am familiar with the music. And what, what's really great about it is it has a very just catchy, almost dance-like vibe, uh, dance music-like vibe with some spy cues and to, to to your point david about him being so flexible with uniting different genres like if you listen to a, there's a track on this season one soundtrack that's um that has like spanish music and and he definitely infuses that and there's some electronic music he's like all over the place and that's certainly definitely like the the show too <laughs> um and and much like lost which we'll, we'll touch on in just a second but it it's his versatility is is quite striking and I think that's probably one of the best marks of a, a really good composer is they're not necessarily just limited to one type of project or one type of uh, genre. I, I could not agree with you uh, more on that and you know it's it's important to notice too is a, a someone's composer or the score can get easily lost in the background of a film uh, or a TV show, right, or a game, but the idea is it's kind of supposed to get lost, right? It's the idea of like visual effects. You're not supposed to really know it's there. You're only supposed to know that it's supposed to uh, evoke emotions, right, that the visuals are also pertaining to. So it's it's a dance, right? It's a puzzle piece and it's a dance. And finding out where do I place this theme when do I bring the violins up? When do I place the cellos and violas in? Because they create maybe like a deeper sound. Um, it's all these moving parts. And the thing is, not I, everyone knows Michael Giacchino, right? I mean, he's he's obviously very widely praised. But not everyone's like, you know, oh my God, he's the star of the show because 
he doesn't have to be. He's not supposed to be. But the stuff that he creates is so good and so fluid and so ingrained with the projects he's in that everyone is just like, you know, this movie would not move along if it was not for Michael Giacchino. Um, these Pixar movies would not be as whimsical or as uh, uh, make you feel as elated sometimes as Giacchino's score. And I think that alone, again, ranks him among the best that there is. And to speak to that range, if we want to transition into Lost, which debuted in 2004 on ABC, it was a monumental hit. Uh, it sounds like for you, it was a early exposure to Giacchino. It was for me as well, and that was a, a landmark season for him in the sense that it was not only when Lost debuted, but also The Incredibles, which we'll talk about. But Lost generated major ratings at really kind of relaunched help, or helped relaunch ABC, which was in a bit of a rut at that point. Alias was ending its five-season run uh, roughly around that period. And Lost had a, a very, certainly a complicated run in terms of pacing and narrative and storylines and certainly brilliant, but one cons- consistently awesome element of the show was, in, at least in my opinion, was, was Giacchino's score. And Thinking back to the music, David, what what are there any particular elements of his score? And mind you, you know we're talking about six seasons here, but <laughs> any any specific elements or themes or or components that really resonated with you? You know, it was kind of all of it, but actually, the again, it's I know it's probably kind of a cliche answer, but the the opening, I mean, that's that is iconic. That is the viewer's first. Uh, viewership and the thing they first hear when they're heading into the show right if you don't hit the nail on the head of what the tone of the show is with that opening credit sequence especially the tv show which is heavily relied on the music um it's it can throw the viewer off a little bit so i remember watching lost and it kind of just immediately engrosses you with the graphics but then the music kind of swells and it Gives it almost like the sense of adventure, but uh, mystery, which it is what the show is. He encapsulated it. And then he also had the luxury of creating themes for all of his characters. And there's a lot of cool characters in that show. So every time you see Locke, right, uh, or every time you see Harley, you, without even seeing them, you can almost hear the theme blend into the back. And you know that it's their scene coming up. And it's, it's so impressive. And you're right, with the way the show kind of, you know, maybe meandered a little bit or kind of maybe lost its way a little bit because it was all over the place, Gio Kino kind of kept a steady pace. He, you know, and the thing was he only had a week to record each time because he had to produce for an episode. So, like, he had, you know, the sort of uh, method to producing this, like, music everywhere from horror to adventure to mystery because that's what the show all entails uh and it's just it was fascinating it was very very intricate work and um i mean really it's it expanded the medium it's the show itself expanded tv the medium of what really tv is but again you can't put a show like this together without the music it is key so key and that's a great musical pun, if I, <laughs> if I'd say so myself. Um, you know, I think what you're touching on too is how there was such a cinematic element of the show, and certainly its budget was a major factor in it. The 
the pilot episode was ridiculously expensive um, for the time, but it always had a, a big screen feel on the small screen, and certainly in, in great measure, uh, Giacchino's work accounts for that because it didn't feel like it was just a, a TV project with some generic cues in the background, like a, a like a, just a, a typical procedural or crime show. And I think what I really love too about it is, you, and you talked about this too, it, there's that mystery and and suspense, but gosh, he's so good with more of atmosphere cues to kind of encapsulate the particular setting. And also from the standpoint of very emotional and even gentle cues. So I, one one that really comes to mind is from the end of season one, um, when we first see a few of the castaways try to flee the island. And there's the, it's, I think it's called the Oceanic 815 track. And it's, there's just beautiful demonstrations of using the piano and there's just a gentleness. And, but knowing Giacchino, knowing Lost, there's always a sense of, of menace and uh, threatening vibes. And that just kind of, it's scintillating. It's just always in the background and you you know that there's always a a but like even though things <laughs> sound like oh this is promising but there's there's a but <laughs> yes there's always that consequence because the music allows you to think that right there's always some sort of caveat because as a viewer you are so committed to these characters by the end of like a season finale right that G. Kino goes not today like, you think you know what's going to happen, but let me put this in the background. And without even you as a viewer knowing it, you get unsettled. And that that's the beauty of composition. That is the beauty of music. Um, is that it can evoke these things that you don't even know you're feeling. Because it, it makes it that whole piece, right? It, it, it glues the puzzle together. And uh, yeah, like that scene, I remember that very distinctly. And I was like... Oh man, like hooray! I'm hoping. Oh no, 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 no! He has put this music in. Oh no, this is bad. Something bad's gonna happen. Oh no. Yeah, I think I, I totally I remember that moment too. And <laughs> and I also I think what was so great about Lost is that we see kind of two sides of the coin with Giacchino. We see his very understated music, music that you wouldn't necessarily pick up because it so perfectly fits in within the context of the scene. But then there are those really, uh, I, I wouldn't say bombastic because I feel like that comes out a little bit more explicitly in some of his more action-based film scores. But we, we definitely hear a sense of like, with, with certain cues, uh, a sense of thrilling um, excitement and uh, just exhilaration. And, and so we, that's going to come across more explicitly than like some of the gentle piano cues that are very much present across the series. So I think that just is a, another testament to his range within even one project. Exactly. Yep. I agree. Well, one other TV show that he's responsible for under the Disney ABC umbrella was a short lived show. And we can't, it's hard to speak to its music because uh, the show was on very briefly. Um, it was called Six Degrees. It came out uh, 2006, 2007. I was a, a major fan of this show set in New York that demonstrated how many lives were interconnected. But um, Jay Kino's um, name is attached to this project. And 
though it's not like you can buy the original score on iTunes, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that really during the early 2000s, Giacchino made a name for himself on TV, and this certainly complemented his burgeoning film career as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, right, so if the show's on for one season, right, and so no one even really talked, can't really say many people talk about the show in general, but people do talk about the score. And again, that speaks to Testament G. Kino, right? I mean, you're right. That built his resume that uh, the score was very good. And I didn't watch the show super closely, but I do know a little bit of the music and from what I've heard. And, you know, it got ears on it, number one. And two, it's we talk about his score. Like, you don't do that with many composers, right? You don't be like, I'm going to talk about the score over the show itself. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting time for him. So we see in the mid-2000s, we see Lost being, and certainly that extended into the end of the decade, but we see Lost as being a, a main centerpiece of sorts of his portfolio. And then around the same time in 2005, we're going to transition uh, now into the parks category. Giacchino really started to strike a chord with Disney fans because of his work for Space Mountain out at Disneyland. And Space Mountain is the type of roller coaster attraction that many of us, whether we're theme park fans or or not, probably have heard of at one time or another. And it's had many different scores and iterations over the decades and really across the many different iterations of Space Mountain across, around the world. Um, in essence, there we have Space Mountain at Disneyland in California, Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland Paris, Tokyo Disneyland, and also Hong Kong Disneyland. And it was during Disneyland's 50th um, anniversary in which uh, Space Mountain got a major overhaul, including for its soundtrack. And it actually would later be translated, at least many elements of it, to uh, to Florida and Paris. And and his reach for, acro- really across the galaxy is very evident so have you ever heard uh, or, or experienced uh, Space Mountain, David, and, and heard Giacchino's music for it? So I've heard his music for it, and Space Mountain is the only road coaster I will ever go on. And that's one of the reasons. Um, because I am terrified, of, like petrified of roller coasters, right? Anything about them. And Space Mountain was the only one. And partially is I would go on it just so I could listen to Giacchino's music because it was the only soothing thing that got me through a potential heart attack. You know, like it's it's one of those things of like he creates a sense of adventure. He allows you. The music kind of makes that right because the music allows you to be taken to this other world, which Disney World hypothetically is. And Space Mountain is supposed to be like a minute and a half of you forgetting what's around you and just being on this thrill ride. And, you know, it's it's the sound of adventure and uh, almost like a little bit intense, but more of just like you're in for a ride, you're going to have fun, and you're going to almost feel like you're in a Disney movie. And, like, I think that's really cool. Like, you don't get that. You know what I mean? It allows you to make believe for that little while you're on this ride. Um, and, yeah, it's great. I mean, the, the dude can do it all. He can do everything and i will never be disappointed <laughs> yeah yeah i i would say space mountain has always been one of my favorite attractions and certainly when 
we got the addition of his music um, first at Disneyland and later translated to the other some of the other parks. It certainly stuck out to me because I heard some of those cues from The Incredibles. There's that exhilaration and um, almost there are some elements to where it feels like, oh, it's doomsday and everything's about <laughs> to collapse because there's such a, a drive to it that's also extremely menacing. Mm-hmm. But um, but with Space Mountain, we, we have like galactic alien-like vibes. There's, I would say, almost like an ethereal rock sentiment. It, like there's, a, It's like a mishmash of so much. And, <laughs> and like I mentioned this briefly with uh, the Star Wars episode, there are certain pieces of music that um, right now I don't have a ve- I don't own a vehicle, but when I did, I, I would love driving at night and listening to particular pieces of music. And the Space Mountain track is one of the best to listen to <laughs> at night when you're driving safely, of course. Yeah. But um, because it feels like you just have like agency over just a, a, a nighttime uh, mm-hmm. landscape, and so perfectly set. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like you're it's literally like you're in a ride. He encapsulates the idea of feeling thrilled better than anybody this sense of adventure uh he makes you feel so many like you said he makes you feel so many different emotions in a short amount of time and you don't know what to do except feel excited you're like that's wild like how do you do that that's so cool and like and i would go on that ride just to hear the different elements of the thing because i'd find new things each time and i think it's so much fun yeah it's it's certainly one of the finest pieces of uh, theme park attraction music and another piece of another theme park attraction that is kind of in the same domain of Tomorrowland uh, which also will <laughs> will be a, a part of this conversation but um, is, is Star Tours Star Tours being part of the Star Wars universe and when Star Tours finally was renovated after more than 20 years of of existence and we got the random scenes to the um to the star speeder experience what we also got through this was the incorporation of some giacchino music he plays off of some of john williams famous cues with his own spin um and own interpretations so star tours the adventures continue is an extension of the original ride that many of us grew up with but we also have the the incorporation of giacchino which would later extend to um, the film universe as well, but and any thoughts on on this attraction or score? So we could touch on this a little more later when we get into when we get into our later list. So I, well, I think other than the fact that J.F. Kino is great at writing some original stuff, I think he excels at taking other people's legendary music and enhancing it and making it a little bit more modern, putting his own little twist on it because he does have his own selective sound of a sort of vibrancy and uh and an energy and again we'll talk about that later but um the daunting task of taking on an iconic composer like john williams that has been around for years years before you and has created some of the most memorable themes and he's done this with few of his things we'll get into later but and he takes it and he makes it his own but he has notes of resemblance up to John Williams' old scores and allows you to hearken back to why you love Star Wars or why you love that previous iteration of the thing that he's uh, taking on so much. And he did it with Star Tours. He does it with Jurassic Park. We'll, we'll, again, we'll go into it later, but um, 
what he pulls off in something like this is almost less it, it's almost less impressive i think more remarkable uh because i think literally in any other hands uh it could honestly be a train wreck i mean you are taking notes of the most iconic theme in the history of film and you are almost picking it apart inserting your own but blending it in and it's it's remarkable it's i there's no other ways to put it other than it's it's an insane achievement of um of constructing music i mean it's it takes a madman to take on this task it takes a madman to make it work and he did it Yes, absolutely. And I, for one, like his his music like interpretations of some of the Star Wars scores via the, the the music that is in the queue and the attraction. And I think, you know, some people may say that certain theme park music or certain film music is sacred and should not be touched. It should not be adapted. But when you have such a, a rich really legacy of, of star wars there's obviously room for putting your own spin like you know you can just go on youtube and find some really odd but lovable renditions of the original star wars scores from the from the early 80s that are just totally outside of genre but other people putting their stamp on it and and here we get that in theme park form uh with with giacchino it's also worth noting that his his work has also been outside of the the Tomorrowland or or intergalactic domain of theme park attractions. So some of his uh, Pixar films, which we'll talk about later, um, actually have attractions. And uh, over the recent years, folks are out uh, in Europe or around Disneyland Paris. You can ch- check out his Ratatouille, the Ratatouille ride, um, which has some of his famous Parisian French themes, but also. More recently, out in California, at Disney California Adventure Park, the California Screaming Roller Coaster, which um, is definitely intense, has been modified to have an Incredibles overlay, and now it's called the Incredit Coaster, and uh, Giacchino's work uh, translates to that. So with Pixar being much more integrated into the Disney theme parks, we're going to see presumably more examples of his music entering that vibe case in point later uh, sometime this year we'll be getting a, it's uh, it's an, a little attraction in the pier the pixar pier area of the park that's based on uh, inside out it'll be called i believe the tentative title is emotional whirlwind but it'll be a little uh, swing-like attraction so hopefully we'll get some of g kino's music there but it's definitely exciting as as time's persisting that we are going to hear more of Giacchino's work in different parts of the parks. I completely agree. He is a, uh, he's become the most prolific composer working today. Um, and rightfully so. He, we talked about earlier, he expands all genres. Uh, he can do everything from movies, TV, to theme parks, um, to just his own scores. His own compositions are gorgeous. And, you know, it's, it's so exciting that he's so young. Like, you know, he's he just just over 50, I believe. And um, he's got his whole career ahead of him still. And I think he's only going to get, you know, more involved. And I think he's going to expand even more horizons. And, uh, I don't know. I think we are, we're very, very lucky to, uh, 
be around when a guy of this caliber is producing the uh, sort of music and uh, having the uh, impact, in a way, honestly, uh, that he's having. I think it's just really, really exciting. You can, oh, you know, I can never wait to hear what he has next. So it's like, if I know GQ is scoring it or going to be part of it, I'm automatically there because I want to hear what he's going to do. And you just don't see it often. And it's really, it's amazing. I, I'm nodding my head a lot right now. You're, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's really, it's, it's almost just invigorating to know that we're kind of in the same boat as perhaps uh, folks were 30, 40 years ago, or really more so 40 years ago with John Williams' work really entering the mainstream and, and folks recognizing, oh, this, this, this guy's doing something pretty strong in terms of his, his work. And we're in the golden age of Giacchino, or, or perhaps there will be even more golden ages because he continues to inspire. And we're kind of at a juncture now, David, where we're going to uh, talk a little bit about his film work because indeed, like we were, I mentioned the early to mid 2000s being pretty notable for Giacchino in terms of him kind of getting onto major projects. And so transitioning into some Disney branded theatrical films, we have to break it down because sure. there are many different types of Disney <laughs> films now and it gets very complex. Very um, true. So Disney branded. So we we're talking about under the traditional Walt Disney Pictures umbrella is we, we got some work from him in 2005 and this was certainly a, a score in a movie. Uh, we could, uh, I love the movie, too, that certainly reminded people, oh, he does work outside of The Incredibles. And uh, th- this film is Sky High, which starred uh, Kurt Russell and Michael, uh, I was going to say Michael Giacchino, Michael Angarano, <laughs> uh, Kelly Preston, and, and many others. So it's a basically for for listeners who are unfamiliar, though you should become familiar with Sky High, it's almost like a a spoof of sorts of some of the 60s era goofy Disney comedies, but with some flares of Harry Potter and X-Men and Incredibles and so many others. And it's basically about heroic teenagers at a heroic high school, if you couldn't tell based on the title. <laughs> but I, I've definitely gone back to the soundtrack uh, at different points because it's, it's heroic, it's inspirational, it carries a lot of cues from the Incredibles or... I shouldn't say cues, it has some of the same, it almost belongs in the same territory of sorts, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the movie or the score, but it's definitely one that's worth checking out. Oh, it absolutely is. And unfortunately, it's kind of gotten buried under all of his other work, which is also exceptional, just because it was earlier in his film career, you know what I mean? But yeah, I I would even compare it a little more to almost like a Superman, uh, like the original Superman, in the sense of very whimsical, it's very very much a superhero score right uh it, it hits on all the cues uh you know you get the bombastic sort of sounds when they you know take off flying or when there's like maybe a certain action scene um but it's also it's lighthearted. it's very much on its toes it's it's you know it, i don't want to say it brings out heavy emotions in you per se but it's it makes you want to stand up and cheer and that's what the movie like this is supposed to do and you will leave the theater or watching the movie feeling good and humming the tunes. And that is key. If, if you can do that, you, you win. And, you know, it's, it's just a, I don't know, it was just a really joyous film. And I was tapping my feet and I was, you know, clapping because I was just like, 
enjoying myself. And, um, you know, it's a movie that I think could have worked with another composer. Sure, you know, maybe it could, but Giacchino brings this flair to it. And we'll talk about more with The Incredibles. He does have this flair for superheroes that he is just, I don't know, he knows how to develop proper themes uh, that are very iconic. And while I won't say this is the most iconic of his work, this is a very full uh, sort of encapsulation of what he can do. And I think for that reason, it's really cool. It's really great as like a whole instead of like individual tracks. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. And yeah, it just, I, I really enjoyed it. I smile every time I listen to it. And I, I got to watch that movie again now that you say it. I haven't seen that in a long time. And it's a movie that holds up. There's some there's some goofy elements, but it, it it's it's just an upbeat, positive film. And I think, yeah, he's perfectly suited for it. Another movie that kind of is in the underrated category or more overlooked for a number of reasons, not the least of which was uh, a major marketing challenge, but uh, is 2012's John Carter. And those of you who are familiar with this project know that it was uh, directed by Andrew Stanton, who is best known for Finding Nemo and Wally. And Giacchino was the composer of this film, which is an adaptation of the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, John Carter novels from the early early 20th century. And John Carter is a complex and very rich film. And part of that is, and in all the best ways, I would say, is because of his score. So I, I have some thoughts on it, but I want to know first uh, if you have any particular interpretations or memories of, of the score. Let me tell you, Brett. I love this movie. Absolutely love this movie. That never, this movie, unfortunately, like you said, due to a tricky marketing campaign, but it unfortunately was also just not managed well. They just kind of ran the movie into the ground. This is an ambitious film. It's even a more ambitious score. It is big. It is epic. It is complex. There's a lot of moving parts. But what I think is most impressive is not just the score. But it's where he puts it, right? It's how he places it. This is a movie that one wrong term, this movie could go off the rails, whether whether it's the direction or the music. But this has got to be one of the more, in my eyes, one of the more grander and thought-provoking Disney films to come out in quite some time, where the score really does carry the movie, right? You, you take the score out of this... Uh, it, it loses a lot. It loses a lot of its raw emotion because the score complements the acting and the emotions that Andrew Stanton is trying to purvey. Um, I think that when you get the big shots of the other planets and like the big monsters that John Carter fights, he creates certain themes and uh, certain ways of bringing the music down or bringing it up at the right moment to kind of get your adrenaline pumping or to get you jump out of your seat a little bit. Uh, it also keeps you in the movie because the movie is long and it's it's a lot going on. It's easy to get distracted, but he, he finds a way to guide you through it. And that, the music tells the story in its own merit. And um, I don't know, I think it's, it's a rather brilliant film with an absolutely exceptional score that just kind of got lost in the shuffle, especially at that year's uh, awards, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I 
if there's a score to listen to without even seeing the movie, John Carter is that score. Wow, that's that's quite a, a statement, and I I, I definitely see see merit in that too. And we, you're talking earlier about his ability to capture characters well and, and particular themes. And John Carter as a character has a really memorable theme in this movie. And I'm going to do my best to translate it, although I'm going to insert some music in the background later so folks can really appreciate it. But it's like, dun, 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 dun. And that wasn't the best uh, translation, but there's a, a certain uh, familiar cue to it that I would say is very reminiscent of as we're talking on earlier episodes of Notably Disney about John Williams and for some of the more notable characters, each of them having a particular theme or cue. When you hear it, you know it's about or featuring that particular uh, individual. And Deja Thoris has one. There are a lot of particular moments where you hear a, a theme being demonstrated throughout many different points, but each conveying a different tone. And I, I love how, for instance, in there's a scene in, in the film, and I'm sure you'd remember it too. It's what the track is entitled "Gravity of the Situation," which is wonderful, wonderfully punny in its own right. <laughs> but but "Gravity of the Situation" is where we see John Carter arrive on Barsoom or Mars, and he realizes his weightlessness and his ability to jump magnificent distances. And we hear his theme, Carter's theme, almost. Uh, reinvented in a new way to to match the uh, effortlessness and really effervescence that he's experiencing on on this new in this new unfamiliar territory. And I feel like Giacchino's ability to constantly uh, change a theme around given the specific setting, and yet it all still feel cohesive, is a real a real testament to his aptitude in, in this arena. Yes, yeah, no, that I absolutely agree. You know, it's like I think he nailed it on the head. It's a, uh, you know, he creates a new score for a new situation because he's a new character. So a new character needs a new theme, and he does that. And he does a, uh, you know, enough delicate, like being delicate enough, uh, you know, where yeah, he balances the old, inserts the new. Uh, also, can I just say, I think your interpretation was the best interpretation of that song I've ever heard. So, spot on. Yeah, no, it's. There's so many great moments in this score, and and I, w- w- David and I are both going to be sharing our top five list. So you can only imagine, based on my enthusiasm, <laughs> that this is somewhere on that list. But I, I really encourage listeners, like you were saying, David, to listen to the score independently from the film and within the film because it's one that definitely stands alone. But there's a few particular tracks that I want to point listeners to. One being a turn for the worse, a turn for the worst, which is the opening of the film, which is very mysterious. We, that's our kind of opening to Sapphan and some of the more villainous characters in the movie, and it it conveys that mysterious vibe. But then, within this like really long, I think it's a seven eight minute long track, we're tra- we're trans literally transported back to Earth to uh, United States following the Civil War, and we see. John Carter. I love this scene so much, David. I, it's like one of my favorite scenes ever. It's where he's just walking in a, uh, it's a, just a rainy environment. It's a gloomy day. And you have like almost like a pitter patter sound to the music to, to reflect the rain. And I'm not sure 
if I have the opportunity to ever talk with Jake, you know, I want to ask him about this. I'm not sure how, if it was in fact very intentional, but his ability to capture the mood and the almost sense of, um, I can't think of a better word than mysteriousness um, that is associated with this character when you first see him, it's it's extremely palpable and his music conveys it so so wonderfully. I completely agree with you, hundred percent. And uh, thanks. And <laughs> one other track I want to let, or two other tracks I want listeners to check out are "Get Carter," which is when he's on horseback uh, uh-huh. in the Arizona desert, and it's an energetic western piece. So, like, we get a bit of western in this too, <laughs> uh, which is great. Yeah, I, like like we said, right? It's a uh, this movie kind of encapsulates everything. Because it's such a broad movie and such a diverse movie in its own merit. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a space western all in all, but like, I don't know. It's yeah, it's remarkable, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a very hard balance. You know, it's it's easy to judge music on its face, being like, oh well, that didn't fit. Yeah, I get it. That's easy, but to create a mood uh, or a scene, to create an energy or a, like a, uh, you know, in a way, it, it requires so much delicate balance. And, um, you know, John Carter, in a way, is a movie of vignettes in its own way. And each piece has its own music. It's like almost three different movies. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's structured well and it works, but you know, you can watch each segment, each act of that movie separately. And I think with the music, it almost stands its merit as a short film. And that's that's a testament to Giacchino. It's, he is telling a story with his sounds. And that is uh, just an absolutely remarkable feat. Um, yeah, and that's, I think it's one of the reasons I appreciate this soundtrack so much specifically. It's, it's individualistic, but it all somehow meshes together perfectly I, I don't know i don't know how he does it it's just amazing yeah and it's it's one of these films i i'm not sure if i ever told you this story but i saw an advanced screening of john carter maybe it was a few weeks before it debuted it was pretty close to the release and um back in phoenix where i grew up and andrew stanton was actually at the screening to uh briefly talk about the film and i thought he would engaged in a Q&A afterwards and ultimately that didn't happen but what's what's notable is that it was it was a in a small theater but it was pretty packed and and I was of kind of the mindset I had been following the film very closely um, throughout its development and I was very excited to see it, it being released and I definitely enjoyed it I didn't come to appreciate it um, as much until subsequent viewings but one thing that I immediately recognized was, wow, this is Giacchino at his finest. And like, I was just absolutely awaiting his soundtrack to debut. <laughs> like all those days, I, I think I, I want to say a few months before there was some almost like a, somehow this made it on YouTube or something. And I can't remember if Disney officially released it or if it was another source, but they actually released elements of the music um probably two to three months before it came out and uh, i was like wow what a great taste and then months before that at the disney d23 expo 
we, that was when folks, including myself, saw the earliest footage of, of John Carter. And it was evident that, wow, Giacchino has found a, a really good fit here. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think we have other other properties to talk about. And <laughs> two other films under the general Disney, Walt Disney Pictures umbrella. One, the next one, kind of in the same domain as far as being overlooked in a kind of troubled production, but I think it's ultimately a brilliant film too, is 2005's Tomorrowland. And this is, the sec- I want to say it's the second live action film from Brad Bird following Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, and this was uh, another bird slash giacchino collaboration and the film wasn't a huge box office performer it definitely underperformed and it was considered a bomb of sorts for the company financially but it ultimately was a very much a reflection of the optimism and pure joy of both the land and uh, that we know in our disney theme parks the magic kingdom style theme parks but also of just the spirit of really the the principal performers and behind the scenes folks who really exude a sense of of optimism and the score reflects that in a variety of ways. But uh, definitely turn it over to you to first share any thoughts you have of Tomorrowland. Yeah, so it's funny actually. Tomorrowland's like in my top three favorite Disney movies. Um, I love this movie from the moment I saw. It. I've seen it a few times. Uh, like you said, I love the idea of conveying optimism. That's what Disney really is supposed to stand for. It's this idea of optimism and otherworldly and magical. I mean, it's, it's in theme park names. Uh, and this movie, uh, without divulging or, you know, diverging too much from the topic, it just it really does a great job of, uh, of conveying what I think every child or adult really thinks of what Disneyland is supposed to be, which is otherworldly, optimistic vibrance uh creativity all these things and the movie does it in spades it was just uh unfortunately perceived in a more poorly way or again the marketing it's very hard movie to market um either way i digress giochino's score incredible this is this is where he thrives uh is in these adventure settings these uh wholly original uh big epic bright sounding uh films super iconic themes like the the main theme of tomorrowland is incredible i don't know if you are listening to it on its own but it's every time i think about it i always think of the trailer actually and just like the logo and it's fascinating um and yeah uh, i just I love this score. I love this movie so much. I, the, the, to me, the movie and the score are very much intergrained for this one. Um, and it just, to me, it stands the test of time. And it, I thought it was going to be a movie that was going to be considered a masterpiece a couple years down the road. It was just kind of not realized yet. Uh, I was wrong. But I think it's a masterpiece. And um, I think this is one of GOP's best scores. Well, if there's a lesson we learned from Tron, it's that several decades later, people catch on and come to appreciate a film very much. For Tron, it was the <laughs> computer graphics. For Tomorrowland, hopefully it will be. It's just a, a word that we've used repeatedly, but is certainly very appropriate as optimistic. And yeah. Giacchino's work for Tomorrowland, I, will, I, I am one to 
try to avoid hyperboles, to avoid exaggeration, <laughs> because there is a lot to a, a love and appreciate and critique within the Walt Disney Company. I am very confident in saying that I think one of his tracks in particular, although the overall score is great, but his track called Penultimate Experience, that's when Casey, the, the lead character, first really fully enters the world of Tomorrowland and is encapsulated by the um, the futurism and, and bright spirit of it. That five-minute track, I would say, is probably one of the finest pieces of film music I've ever heard. <laughs> I... Love it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I I agree. That that's a moment that gives you chills, right? Like I remember when I saw that and I was very excited for this movie the whole time, but when I saw it and that moment happened, uh, because it's your first realization of this world too. You know what I mean, as a viewer. It's your first time like following a character in there. And let me tell you, it gives you chills. It made me it made me like swell up like well up a little bit. Um it was gorgeous and what i loved about it is they allowed the track to play out almost the whole time like they didn't cut it down or trim it they let it play for a long period of time and really really get you into that world i mean that it's amazing it, it you know it swells it's got the sense of imagination it lets you as a viewer again be immersed in that world right you become casey and that's that's not the direction that's that is strictly the composition that composition is very much a character in that movie but especially that segment it's insane that, that's such a that's such a good observation david that i'm, I'm really glad you you made i i want to have it as, as far as that that particular piece of music not only is it extremely present in the scene but there's so little dialogue we we get some sound effects we hear kind of the buzzing of some of the jetpacks and and the the monorails and some of the other vehicles but ultimately it's a piece of music that is so much present and in front of you and you can't escape it you are immersed in it much like you're immersed in the in the land the world of tomorrowland it's absolutely breathtaking and what i also really love about it too is that it's there's a sense of it's triumphant we we hear a lot of brass we hear it's just so pumping and energizing but there's no there's no real sense of menace in this it's more of just like wow i'm totally engrossed in this new wondrous environment it's like a, it is disneyland in all intents and purposes um and i just think much of the film exudes that too but for one cue to to be able to, or one track i should say to demonstrate that is is quite notable yeah i again i completely agree with you i think it's uh i always encourage people to go see this movie but i actually usually encourage that track uh because because of that reason i think it personifies what movies are uh you know it's you're right you can't escape it you're automatically like invested in it. you have to listen to it because it's there and there's nowhere else to go but uh you know it's it reminds you why you like movies, right? It reminds you of the scope of this otherworldly uh, experience that you as the viewer are going on. And, and the music, it sucks you right in. I mean, visually, it's cool. Absolutely. But again, and this, uh, you know, I say this a lot in this podcast, but it's true. And it's the ultimate test. If you watch that scene without the music, the effect is drastically different. It doesn't hold up because... 
um, the music is what the character is hearing. When you're that, when you're Casey and you see this world, you see this world of optimism. You see this world of um, of experience and of creativity and all these things. So in her head, she's playing these really optimistic sounds and you as the viewer are now hearing those as well. You are getting that same exact feeling that character is feeling. That is Giacchino at his finest. That is that is incredible composing. That is, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but like, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this one. Uh, it's it's remarkable. Um, I think it's, it's, if the movie got more recognition, it would go along the lines of iconic, like, pieces as the star wars theme as the jurassic park theme as indiana jones it would stand that i just don't think enough ears have been on it where it'll ever really reach that pedigree but uh in my eyes it ranks among the best um just overall soundtracks in movie history i adore it hey great great minds think alike and i (laughs) i'm i'm definitely echo everything you're saying um it's true one one other film we want to mention that's under the disney proper umbrella and he's actually responsible for a disney animated score and that is 2016's zootopia and that certainly really resonated with people on many different levels it was only one of the few animated films to have earned more than one billion dollars worldwide uh it's also uh one of the great examples of disney and anthropomorphic animals (laughs) and we also see a range of different uh musical genres coming out in this score thoughts on zootopia by michael giacchino yeah uh i mean it's great you know i I love that movie Uh, i think like you said it resonates on so many different levels from the story to the music it's a it's a buddy cop movie in the best way possible right the way i thought about i'm like all right this is a you know uh, lethal weapon but disney-fied and pg and it's awesome and it's chipper and the music it never slows down it's always fast it's always at a clip which is great um it just kind of it, it really helps move the story and the story itself is fantastic but the music is less like tomorrowland where it's more bombastic and uh and spacious and and huge and epic this is a little, a little more intimate but it's silly. It, uh, you know, he does a lot of these things with his notes where he accentuates the humor and jokes that would normally fall flat. And I think at least get a giggle out of you, if not a flat out laugh. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like that movie. I think it's a sheer joy. And, um, you know, I just think the music, it's just a great fit. It just really works. Yeah, it's I, I would definitely put Zootopia on there. It's not. And mind you, I adore Giacchino. I don't think it's some, I don't think it's his strongest work because think of the types of titles we were just talking about and the ones that we're going to be discussing later. But what's nice about it, and you touched on this, is that there's um, there's a playfulness to it, and there's also what I love. He he spoofs a lot of different musical genres. You, you talked about the buddy cop, and but also you have the Mr. Big character, who's the the, the cute little uh, mobster shrew and he has the godfather like music the mobster music <laughs> that italian um kind of vibe coming through in that scene and then in another scene uh with the uh, the yoga like naturalist animals you have 
it had like an Indian, more ethereal flavor to it. And then uh, a track like Hops Goes After the Weasel, that has a, a playful and zippy vibe to it. My favorite track on the score is called Ticket to Write, which is uh, very self-explanatory. It's focused on on uh, Judy Hobbs being that parking person uh, issuing tickets, and it has a very sprightly, <laughs> bouncy Latin flair. So there's like a, a bit of like a South American, Central American flair to what's otherwise just a hodgepodge of a film in terms of musical genres. So worth noting. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, again, I echo everything you just said. I, you know, it's a great combination. And, um, you know, it, it speaks to the testament of just how great Giacchino is and where he adds to something more than either overtaking or taking away, right? He supplements it and creates it, making it uh, that collaboration, just making that scene work. And that's the job of the composer. Um, and he's as good as anyone. It's really. We, we keep using very emphatic and positive terms about Giacchino, and it's because they're all very well warranted. And thanks to David for joining me. As I promised, there is much more to come as we discuss Giacchino on a future episode of Notably Disney. Indeed, it's a vast universe of music as we're going to be talking about Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and much more. All that to come on a future episode of Notably Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.